Let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Acts 16 today, we'll be looking at verses 6 through 10, Acts chapter 16. If we have not had a chance to meet, my name is Kenson. I serve as the pastor of our Bridgeport Church. So grateful to be with you all this morning. And also very excited for August 29th, having a chance to celebrate together on 31st Street Beach. So hopefully like a day like this would be perfect for us to be out there, have a chance to baptize some folks and just have some fun out there together as a church family. It's one of the few times that we actually, as a region, get to come together. So please join us for that. Invite your friends. It'll be a great, great time. Once again, Acts chapter 16. Now, as you guys are turning there, you know, some of you guys might know this, but during my sabbatical, I had a chance to go to California for a preaching class. And as I was meeting fellow classmates, you know, we would do the typical introductions. Hi, my name is this, blah, 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 blah. You know, I do ministry here, blah, 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 blah. And what's so interesting is that every time I introduced myself, it was almost always the same response. Hi, my name's Kenson, and I live and pastor in Chicago. Whoa, Chicago? It must be really dangerous. Whoa, Chicago? There's a ton of shootings there, right? Whoa, Chicago? Are there gangsters everywhere, you know? There are like 20 students in the class, and they all knew Chicago the same way. It's a dangerous city. It's a violent city. And I knew that some of them wanted to ask, but it would be rude to ask, but it was through their facial expressions. They're like, why are you in Chicago, of all places, to live and do ministry? You know, today I want to answer that question for us. Why are we as a church in Chicago? Now, in case if you didn't know, South Loop is one church of a family of interdependent churches. We currently have 10 congregations all across the city that call themselves Park Community Church. And let me just show you on the map here that these churches are in the blue dots. These are the Park Community Churches here. We have the Rogers Park Network, Sub-Sakara, which is a park church on Devon Avenue, Forest Glen, Norwood Park, Lincoln Park, Near North, South Loop, Bridgeport, and soon to be Hyde Park and Albany Park on September 12th. In addition, we've helped plant dozens of churches all across the city through our resources and trainings, through different church planting networks, and these are represented in the white dots on the screen here. So if you didn't know this before, know this now. We are committed as a church in reaching the city with the good news of Jesus. And from the pulpit, every so often, we want to answer the question, why? Why do we believe God has called all of us to be on mission in the city? Now, in our verses today, what we're going to see is that God will lead Paul to go further west than he's ever, ever gone, going into city after city after city after city. And what we're going to see from Paul's example is how he sees the city as a very strategic place to bring the gospel. So let me read our verses, and we're going to jump right into this topic here, okay? So Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 10. And they, Paul and Silas went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia, present-day Europe, was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. 
And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into, into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is the word of the Lord. God, are you for the city? Are you for the city? Now, I'm very intentional with the preposition for because it communicates posture. Because for many Christ followers, even though we might live in the city, it doesn't necessarily mean that we are for the city. For example, some are in the city, but they stand against the city. What that means is that I might have my zip code in the city, my taxes might go to the city, but my heart is far from the city. That this is a heart that can't see any good in the city. That there's so much corruption, so much rebellion against God, so many bad influences, that the natural response towards the city is that it should be avoided at all costs. This posture often comes from a place of purity and holiness, and those are good things. But the potential problem with this posture is that it begins to see the city as an enemy of our faith as opposed to an opportunity to show off the love of Christ. That is, with this posture, it can be easy to believe that the city is hopeless, it's too wicked, it's irredeemable. But here's the thing. If the gospel teaches us anything, it shows us that Jesus can redeem anyone, even the worst of sinners like you and me. With Jesus... There is always hope. Now, for some others, we might not see ourselves against the city, but living above the city. You know, what that means is that some of us have the resources and power to do something about the brokenness and pains of our city. And last week, Rafe did a fantastic job telling us all the different ways that we can sacrificially engage. For example, with the whole orphan crisis in our city, that if every Christ follower was to choose to adopt today, this issue would be resolved overnight. God has blessed some of us with the ability to do just that. But instead, we use our means and resources to live above the city to distance ourselves between us and the problems, that we might be quick to say, you know, I love the city. We might have our Chicago tattoo on our arms with the four stars. We might have all of that, but what we're really saying is that I love my slice of the city. I love what the city can give to me. The problem with this posture is that once the cost outweighs the benefits, we will move. We will move that the city becomes more about me than about being on mission. This sees the city as a place to consume and not a place to lay down our lives. This is the difference between a tourist and a citizen. A tourist comes in, takes a couple of pictures, and enjoys all the city can give to them. A citizen invests and takes ownership of the issues of the city. Are you a tourist in the city? Or are you a citizen in our city? We have to avoid both these postures. We can't stand against or above the city because both these postures seek to avoid the city. As Christ followers, we must be for the city. Now, in our verses today, 
what we begin to see happen is that now the gospel is moving further west than we've ever seen it, into Europe. And Paul now is beginning his second missionary journey. And the pattern, as I said earlier, that we will see over and over and over again is that Paul now goes to every megacity there is on this side of the world. Now, in order to understand what's going on here, we need to first understand Paul's first missionary journey in Acts 13 and 14. Now, let me just show, you, show it to you on a map here. Now, on this first missionary journey that Paul's on, his mission, his focus was very narrow geographically, primarily focusing on Asia Minor, which is current-day Turkey. And this was a very successful journey. People came to follow Christ. Churches were planted. And Paul does all this great work, and he goes back to his home base, the, the, the sending church in Antioch, and shares all the good news that God has done. And after he does that, Paul now begins to plan for his second journey. And for Paul, his strategy is very simple. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Since the first journey was so successful, let's continue to build off that work, revisit these churches in Asia, continue to strengthen and encourage them. That was the plan. But this is where it gets interesting. Verse six, chapter 16, verse 6. And they, Paul and Silas, went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So what we're going to see here is that the Holy Spirit says no numerous times. First, the Holy Spirit says no, this trip is not going to go through Asia. So Paul says in verses 7 through 8, fine, we'll go north of Asia in Bithynia. And the Holy Spirit says no, again, you're not going to go there. And you have to keep this in mind here, that Paul right now has gone 600 miles going all over the place, to, to Bithynia, to, to Asia, to, to Phrygia, and God, and the Holy Spirit keeps saying, no, 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 no. And it's not until verses 9 and 10 that God shows Paul where he needs to go. Verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia, present-day Europe, was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So Paul gets this vision, and the next thing we see in Acts chapter 16, 17, and 18 is that he starts going into all the major cities in Macedonia. And let me just show you Paul's second journey here. The box that's shaded in blue is where his first journey was, and right away, you can see in the second journey, it was much more vast than the first journey, and the pattern that we see in this second journey is that God is leading Paul into city after city after city, and notice here, notice that God sends Paul. God here is not avoiding the city. God is not going around the city. God is not cursing the city. Instead, what is he doing? He is sending Christ followers. He is sending Paul and his team with the gospel to reach and bless the city. God is for the city. Now, to help us move through our verses today, I want to answer these two questions. First is this. Why was Paul compelled to go into the city? What made him realize that the city would be a strategic place for the gospel? And second, what did he do once he was in the city? You know, what did he do when faced with the overwhelming issues of the city? What did Paul bring to those problems? So first, why was Paul compelled to go into the city? It's because the city is filled with people. Look at verse 9. 
And a vision appeared to Paul in a night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Notice here how God compels Paul to invest in this region. He doesn't give him a picture of of urban comfort, of urban convenience, of trendy activities. He gives him a picture of a man crying out for help. And this is what makes city a cities. It's not, it isn't the skyscrapers. It's not the cool restaurants. It's not the lakefronts. What makes a city a city is the people. That's literally what defines a city. It's a density of people. And this is why Paul was drawn to go into city after city after city. It's not because the city was hip or cool. It's because Paul has given his life to sharing the gospel with spiritually lost people. And the city was packed with lost people. Is that not what the Great Commission is all about? It's all about people. It's about people. You know, Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, once said this about why God loves the city more than he does the country. He said this, the country has more trees than people. The city has more people than trees. Because God loves people more than he loves trees, he loves the city more than he loves the country. All right, he said it, not me, okay? Now, now there's a bit of lightheartedness to this because we, mo- we all know this, right? God loves the country and the city, and you need to hear this at the very onset here. This is not a sermon that is bashing on the suburbs. This is not a sermon saying that God hates the suburbs. There is no such thing in the Bible that says that, that God hates the suburbs or it's not a mission field. We have to remember that wherever there is people, Christ followers must go, churches must be planted. In, in the city, in the suburbs, in the villages, in the tribes, in rural areas, everywhere. Churches need to be there. Christ followers need to be there. But at the same time, what Tim Keller is saying here is not wrong. It's not wrong. When it comes to reaching the most people with the love of God, it is undeniable the city is the most strategic opportunity to do just that. Consider this, as of today, over half of the world's population lives in cities. Every three months, five million people are moving into cities all over the world. That is almost two Chicago's being formed every three months. By 2050, close to 70% of all people in the world will live in cities. So let me ask you. If people, if the nations are moving into the cities in droves, where is the most strategic place for Christ's followers to be? It's in the city. If culture and technology and the arts and politics and business are being shaped in the city, where is the most strategic place for the church to be? It's in the cities. Now, what does it mean for us who are living right now in the city of Chicago. We need to make the most of every opportunity. 
Now, if I can just say, this idea should not be too hard to grasp because that's what the city is all about. It's all about opportunity. The reason I'm in the city, my family, my parents, and my grandparents immigrated from southern China into the city is for economic opportunity. It's a place where they were able to have the opportunity to secure a financial future. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. For some of us here, the reason that you're in the city of Chicago is because this is a platform to be able to build your resume, to have a chance to prove yourself. That in the, that in the closing verse of Frank Sinatra's song, like New York, New York, he says this, and if I can make it there in New York, I can make it anywhere. Some of you are in the city for that very reason, that you're here to climb that ladder. You're here to prove yourself. You're here to get that internship. You're here to get that best education. Cities are places of incredible opportunities. Many of us are in Chicago for that reason, and that is not wrong. I am so glad that God has brought you and hundreds of thousands of people into our city. But could it be possible that as you are here for an opportunity, that one of those other great opportunities that God has you here and right now is for the gospel. Could that be possible, that he has you here for that reason? You know, when you look at our verses, Paul and Silas have no idea what's going on. They have no idea what's going on here. That if you were to ask these really godly men, hey, you know, at the beginning of their trip, you know, what is God's will in your life? They would say, I have no idea, okay? All God keeps doing, he just keeps saying, no, 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 no. I have no idea what he wants from me. But once God said yes, they were all in. And because Paul was faithful when God opened that door, it became one of the biggest turning points for the mission of God because it's in, the, it's in that Macedonian call, the gospel went to Europe, and the Western world was evangelized. We, the church in America, have the gospel today because Paul was faithful to this calling to make the most of every opportunity for the gospel. Now, God has led all of us to the city for a variety of different reasons. For some of you, Chicago was your first choice, and for some of you, you're like, Paul, it was your last choice, okay? No matter the reason, you are in the city right here, right now, and if you believe in a sovereign God, you are not here by accident. You are here for his purposes. Will you make the most of that opportunity? It was well said in last week's sermon. The issue for us is not the lack of opportunity for gospel impact here in the city. There are tons of people in the city, and there are tons of opportunities, tons of issues to get after. The real question is our willingness to do it. It's our willingness to be uncomfortable for the sake of others to know Jesus Christ. Paul was faithful with the Macedonian calling. Will we be faithful to the Chicago calling that God has given to all of us? Whether he's called you here for two years, four years, six years, 20 years, 40 years, will you be faithful to that calling? And this leads to the second question. What did Paul do once he was in the city? It says it here in verse 10. He preached the gospel. Look at verse 10 here. And when Paul had seen the vision of a man crying for help, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel 
to them. Paul sees a man crying out for help, and he brings the good news of Jesus. Now, this is important because what this tells us is that when God gave Paul this vision of a man crying out for help, that this man was not crying out because he was hungry or else Paul would have brought food and water. This man wasn't crying out because he was sick or Paul would have brought, you know, medicine and doctors. This person wasn't crying out because of injustice or inequality or Paul would have brought, like, new policies or politicians, whatever. No, Paul brings the gospel and what this tells us about the greatest need of this Macedonian man, as a matter of fact, the greatest need of all humanity is that we need to be right with God. Paul doesn't bring the good news of education, economy, politics, after school programs, and granted these are all really important things and expressions of good gospel work. But Paul knows that real help, eternal help, is only found in Jesus Christ. And what's so fascinating is that when you read the rest of Acts chapter 16, what we see the author Luke doing is showing us over and over again that as the gospel goes into the city, city people are saved. Then in Acts 16, we have three stories of three people from Philippi who could not be any more different. And for the next three weekends, we're going to spend time looking in detail of each of these stories. But what I want to show you is the overall theme of all these stories, and that's Jesus saving all of them. Then when you look at verses 11 and 15, we have the first city who is Lydia. It says in verse 14 that she was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. What this verse tells us is that first, she, Lydia, was a seller of purple goods, which meant that she was a business owner. And her business would have been high-end fashion. Because back in those days, you know, the process of making purple dyes was very expensive. So this was a very successful businesswoman in high-end fashion. She was put together. She was affluent. She was a business owner. She was part of the upper class. And we also know that she was religious, too, that she was a God follower. She was a winner in every way. And what happens with her? Jesus saves this city person. That we read in this story here that Paul shows up to her prayer meeting that she's still trying to discover who God is and God opens her heart and she knows the good news of Jesus Christ and she comes to saving faith. This high level executive. Then you have verses 16 and 18. Luke gives us a second city person and this is someone who could not be any more opposite than Lydia. Verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. This slave girl was probably 10 to 14 years old and most likely sold by her parents. And this little girl had the ability to predict or tell the future because she was possessed by demonic powers. And this little girl could not be any more different than Lydia. That this little girl was not an owner, She was owned. She was not in control. She was being controlled. She was not in the center of the social world. She was an outcast. She was enslaved and exploited by human masters, and she was enslaved by these inner demons, that she would be a modern-day equivalent in our city of, of human trafficking. 
And even this slave girl, Jesus steps in and saves this city person that Paul sees her and says that in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. Paul says to the demon that in Jesus' name and power and authority, he is greater than you, so get out. And this slave girl is then free and comes to saving faith in Christ. And then finally, for the rest of chapter 16, we get a jailer who cannot be any more opposite than these two. That once this slave girl is free, her owners are enraged because she has lost all her powers, and thus they can't, she can't make money for them anymore. And Paul and Silas are thrown into prison, and they meet this jailer. And most likely this jailer was ex-military because Philippi was a Roman colony, and a lot of the military people went there to retire, and a pension for their retirement was to have a job like this. It was to work in a jail. So this jailer would have been for us a modern-day equivalent of a blue-collar, middle-class man who is spiritually indifferent, not popular or unpopular. And even for this jailer, a blue-collar guy, Jesus steps in and saves this city person. Then an earthquake goes throughout the prison. All the prison doors are unlocked. The chains are all unlocked. And the jailer immediately puts a sword to his chest to end his life because he thought that everyone has run out. And this would have been the penalty of his life anyway. It would have been execution. So he was just going to do it first for himself. But Paul screams out and says, do not harm yourself. We are all still here. The jailer rushes in, cries out to Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? Paul shares the gospel, and this man is saved. Do you see what's happening all throughout chapter 16? Do you see the message here? God is sending the gospel to save city people. That these three people could not be any more different. Upper class, middle class, lower class, Asian, Greek, Roman, social insider, outsider, and someone in the middle, a woman, a kid, a man. These three could not be any more different, could not be any more diverse, and Jesus saves all of them. This is why we must be for the city, because we must believe that the gospel can reach and transform our city because the gospel saves. Amen? Amen. So let's get practical here. How can we be for the city? First is this, and this is always the first step. We have to go. We have to go. Verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over. Come over to Macedonia and help us. We can't reach our city if we are unwilling to come over, if we're unwilling to engage. We need to show up and be present and be uncomfortable. And this verse once again reminds us that every Christian is a missionary. Not, not a missionary in the sense that we're all called to go overseas and to, reach un, you know, to, to go ahead and reach to unreached people groups. Some of us will be called to that. But every Christian is to be a missionary because we all have a mission, because Jesus has given all of us the great commission to obey. So the question is not if you are a missionary in the city. The question is, are you a faithful one? Are you a faithful one? Will you come over and help? Here's the second application. 
And it's again, verse 10. It's to proclaim the gospel. Once again, Paul concludes that God has called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, I know that as soon as you hear that, it sounds super intimidating, that you're thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, does this mean going house to house and handing booklets that say, you know, how I can go to heaven or standing on street corners and, you know, doing some open-air preaching? In some cases, that's what we have to do. But that's not the only way that we get and proclaim the gospel, that it's much more dynamic than all of that. Because once again, when you look at Paul in chapter 16 and how he shares the gospel with all three of these people, they are done in various ways. With Lydia, he engages in conversation with her and reasons with her. With the slave girl, what this slave girl was not for Paul to first show up with the gospel track to say, will you believe in Jesus? What she needed first was someone to free her from this injustice and oppression. That is what she needed first. And for this jailer, he needed to see radical sacrifice in order to come to Christ. Because once again, he was ready to kill himself. He thought all the prisoners escaped. But Paul chose to stay in the prison. And because Paul chose to stay locked up, the jailer could live. His life was spared. And because of that radical sacrifice, he had to ask what must I do to have a faith like yours? With all three of these people, the gospel was demonstrated differently. In the same way, to preach the gospel is to share with others the good news of Jesus Christ with our words. It will never be less than that. But to proclaim the gospel is also living out those truths so that we can show that the gospel is credible through our lives. So we serve and sacrifice for others. We speak and stand against injustice. We welcome the orphans and the outsiders. All of this proclaims the good news of Jesus. You know, and a very practical thing that we can do to grow in this area I can give you guys this, is to go to our website at renewchai.org. This, this website leads us to Renew Chicago, and this is the outreach arm of our church that deals with issues broadly affecting our city. And on this website, you can learn about the issues in our city, so you can know more about that. You can also pray in specific ways for the healing of our city. You can also see all the different organizations that you can support with our resources. And finally, you can connect through service. And actually, you can, and actually, that's a big reason why we church plant in all these na- different neighborhoods is because we understand that every neighborhood has different needs, so it's important for us to contextualize, and it's also important that we show our city that we want to help, and we want to help by not having you come to us. We want to help by coming to where you are. We want to come to where you are. We want to live and experience in the same neighborhood with you, that your issues are our issues, your schools are our schools, your playgrounds are our playgrounds, your potholes are our potholes. This is why we are a neighborhood church, because we are for the city. And here at South Loop, you're doing such a great job with that. You have Bread of Life ministry. I know that oftentimes throughout the year, you're helping out at Pacific Garden Missions. Oftentimes on Fridays, you're hitting the loop or UIC to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know there are strong partnerships with international students, and you guys are the champions of the adoption fund. So South Loop, way to go with that. And also, if I can just give a shout out too to Noah and our Hard Park 
launch team here, that even before their first Sunday worship service on September 12th, they are already stepping into needs all across their area of the city, that they're helping out with the local Young Life Ministry for their back-to-school bash, that they're part of the cleanup at Nicholas Park, and recently, they just supplied all, all the science kits for the pre-K program at Bret Hart Elementary a Hyde Park, if I can just say, way to go. Way to go. Okay, we can clap. That's okay. We're a church. We can clap. And what I love here is that this church here, before they even have a building, they are showing us what it looks like to do the work of the church. And if I can just quickly say that if you're sitting right here right now and you're feeling convicted that God's calling you to minister and reach in the city, to reach the city, but you just don't know how to do that, and especially if your lease is about to expire, would you pray and consider joining the Hyde Park Church plant? Could that be the calling God's laying on your heart? Church, let's not be against the city. Let's not be above the city. Let's be for city. This is why we're here. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, as I think back to my time in California, and Lord, I can just, Lord, I get it. I get it. That the city is a hard place. Chicago can be a hard place. Things can, can seem overwhelming, that every summer we seem to be kind of playing things on repeat. And I guess sometimes, Lord, it's just maybe easier to do ministry and life somewhere else. So God, all the more reason that, God, that you lay on every single one of us a Chicago calling, Lord, a calling of conviction, a calling that is led by your spirit to bring the gospel here. That, God, that we know, Lord, that it's going to be hard work. We know that's going to be challenging work. But, Father, that's exactly why the church exists, is so that we can step into those very things. So, Father, would you help us, Lord? Would you help us to be a church? Lord, help us to be faithful where you have placed us at. That many of us live in different places, different areas of the city, doing different works. God, we are not there by accident. Father, help us to be faithful to those opportunities. God, help us, Lord, to be able to see the city reach, Lord, not for our name's sake, but because of the name of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray.